0: Hello everyone, it's Matt here, and this is a bit, of a, uh, a bit of a video, a live Facebook video for the early birds. Well, not really the early birds, the people that are staying up late. I'm currently in Paris. I'm doing this as a podcast as well, so you can tune in either on the Facebook Live or on the podcast. I know it's late in Australia, but I've just arrived in Paris for the start of my Matt McLaughlin signature tour of the Western Front. And I wanted to tell you about the exciting time that I've had in London over the last several days, because it's been pretty amazing. Um, if you haven't kept up with what I've been doing, go to the Facebook page or go to my Twitter feed and see some great photos there because I've had pretty extraordinary couple of days. It's been amazing. It started uh, a couple of days ago when I went to Bletchley Park. Now, what I'm here for is hopefully you've seen my TV series, Living History TV, uh, which we do on Facebook uh, and YouTube, uh, and hopefully you've seen that and you've tuned in. And I'm over here, while I'm here, not only just doing this tour on the Western Front, I'm also filming some absolutely great stuff for Living History TV. So look out for it in the coming weeks. We're going to get that edited and put together and, and uploaded onto the website. So the first of these was a trip to Bletchley Park, home of the Code Breakers during World War II. And I'm sure you've seen... Um, you would have seen The Imitation Game. I'm sure you've seen a number of movies, some of them good, some of them not so good, about Bletchley Park over the years, a number of documentaries. It's just such an iconic site. And it was wonderful to get out there. I'd never actually been to Bletchley Park in spite of a couple of attempts to get out there. A few false starts, I'd never actually been. Uh, But heading out there with the film crew to make an episode of Living History TV was amazing. So if you haven't been, it's an old um, Victorian manor estate out in the countryside. And it's about half an hour on the train from London. And it was selected as the site for the code-breaking operations in the late 1930s. For a couple of key reasons it firstly it was there and it was available the manor house was for sale it had a lot of space that they knew they would need to install these code breakers Uh, it had excellent communications back to london both in terms of telegraph lines but also a train line that ran straight past it but most importantly it was close to london but out of london so there was an expectation during the second world war that cities would be absolutely pulverized from the air that, that waves of bombers would fly over and make cities uninhabitable effectively. We saw a bit of it during the Second World War, particularly in Germany with attacks on Hamburg uh, and uh, Nuremberg and other places like that. But uh, really, it, it never really, that, that, that fear never really came to fruition. In spite of the fact that London was obviously knocked around throughout the war, it never reached the stage where it was uninhabitable. But in the late 1930s, with the clouds of war looming, The expectation was that the cities would have to be evacuated at some stage. And so the government departments began buying up and and acquiring sites outside London uh, in order to to have a place to go to if the cities were uninhabitable. And Bletchley Park was chosen as the area for this top secret code-breaking operation. And so it was great to get out there. And today they've preserved the, the house, the mansion they call it, the Manor House, the huts that they built, I mean eventually they had 9,000 people out there working on code breaking and so they had to build a lot of facilities for them and so they built these famous huts all over the grounds which were just simple simple buildings that uh, that people occupied um, and it was great to get out there. It's a wonderful museum. I knew that they'd done a good job but I, I think the British do this just about better than anyone. That they've just got this incredible ability to take the history and distill it into a, a very... Um, a very recognisable, a very engaging way of, of, of understanding the history. And so when you go out there, you can tour the mansion house, and they've got it set up as it would have been in the 1930s and into the 1940s, and you can go and tour many of the huts, most of the huts you can go and tour, and they've got exhibitions set up, and they just do it really well. They had a couple of special exhibitions going on, one of which on D-Day was remarkable, the role of the code breakers in D-Day, and that was really well done, um, a special uh, exhibition, on the bomb machine, the famous computers that that broke the Enigma code, um, which also paid a lot of tribute to the Polish code breakers who did great work in the 1930s before the war had even begun. The, the Poles were doing great work breaking Enigma. And so I was able to go out there and, and spent the whole day there. It was fantastic. They showed us around and, and, and took us to all these great places. I was able to tour the grounds at Bletchley Park, see all the sites, go into the huts, just... Uh, across the whole site beautiful it was a beautiful sunny day the weather was great and we did some really great filming but the absolute highlight and please go check out the photos on Facebook and on Twitter for this was they brought out an original World War II Enigma machine I could not believe it a captured German Enigma machine which is in full working order they have rigged it up with a modern battery and it still works exactly as it did during the Second World War and they let me use it I couldn't believe it I was like a kid in a lolly shop they put it in front of me I opened up the box and I got to learn all about how it worked, the complicated system of rotors, the plug board, the whole thing. We spent probably an hour and a half just going through the whole thing, being uh, being shown by one of the historians there. It was really wonderful. And this was the same Enigma machine that they used in the movie, The Imitation Game. So I've had my hands on the same device that Benedict Cumberbatch used in that, uh, in that movie. And so... It was a great day and that was an absolute highlight of everything that I've done I'm very very lucky with everything I get to do in my job but sitting there and playing with an enigma machine was absolutely amazing I loved it it was so great check out the photos you'll see my beaming beaming face I, I it was just a, a rare privilege and I want I want you to know that I mean I post these photos up because you know I, I, I feel that we're all we all have a common interest here we all share share the same feelings with this that I feel so incredibly privileged to be doing this stuff I never want you to think that I'm sitting back going oh yes you know I'm, you know, a deserved historian who should be doing all this stuff. I'm absolutely not like that. I get so excited whenever I have these opportunities, and that was really one of them at Bletchley Park. So just a great day. Spent the full day out there. Didn't see nearly enough of the, of the sites that are there because there's so much to see and do. When you head out there, and I strongly suggest you do if you're going to be in London... Um, allocate the entire day you'll need every minute of it and it's really great and uh, they've they've got projects for children as well so it is somewhere you can take the family don't get don't have the impression it's just for nerds who love maths if you are a nerd who loves maths you'll really enjoy it but everyone else will uh, will enjoy it as well it's just it's very very well done my hat's off to Bletchley Park they do a great job I go to a lot of museums and they vary in quality I've seen a lot of museums that I just don't think are particularly good I won't tell you the list of those now. You'll have to come up and see me sometime and buy me a beer and I'll tell you. Uh, But um, Bletchley Park is not one of the ones that that, uh, that I think is poorly done. It's brilliant. They've done a brilliant job. So, very engaging history. They just... As I said, the British do this better than anyone, I think, in terms of engaging with their history. Um, The Enigma machine that I used is actually part of a school's program. So if school kids come out, they get to examine the Enigma machine up close. So, wonderful. Where else would they do that? They certainly wouldn't do it in Australia. They definitely wouldn't do it in America. Anywhere else, that Enigma machine would be in a glass case and everyone would just have to stand around reverently taking photos and not getting too close to it. I love what the the British do. They're brilliant. They, They bring it out and they let school kids play with it and use it. Just a great way of connecting... The younger generation with this really important chapter of history. So that was my day at Bletchley Park. So I had uh, two uh, two great cameramen with me and a, a, a film crew, and so we recorded a great little documentary, which I imagine will go for 20, 20 or thirty minutes, just about the story of Bletchley Park. And so thank you very much to Bletchley Park. It was wonderful to be hosted out there, and they did a they do a fantastic job. Get out there if you're in London. If you haven't been, make it a priority next time you come to London. Um, that was my day at Bletchley Park. That was the day before yesterday. Yesterday, another great day. I went out uh, in the evening, in the late afternoon, I went to the Royal Air Force Museum. Um, just getting a couple of messages there. Hello, Adam. Adam Bloom, one of our most loyal repeat passengers, is coming on the tour. Terry Halloran, we're in the bar. <laughs> Come down for a beer. I'll be heading down shortly. Um, it's great. I'm really excited about everyone I'm going to be meeting on this tour. Um, I have not led a tour of the Western Front since 2012, so hopefully I'm not too rusty. Um, but this is great. The Signature Tour. I'm really looking forward to it. So everyone who's watching and who is uh, on the Signature Tour, I will see you tonight. Uh, looking forward to meeting you all. Um, so yesterday, RAF Museum at Hendon, uh, just north in in the northern part of London. So we went out there and had some um, some quite exclusive access. There was a a function on that you, if you come to London, can do this as well. Um, it was a, a Battle of Britain behind-the-scenes kind of night that they had on at the RAF Museum in Hendon. Uh, and basically, after they closed the museum, they left one hangar open, and there were 11 aircraft that they took down the barriers and they took panels off the planes so you could see inside and see the engines. And and basically, they encouraged everyone who would bought a special ticket to come to this event. Only about 60 or 70 people could then go all around the plane and they had, a, they had step ladders leading up so you could look into the cockpits and you couldn't touch them. You couldn't climb in them or touch them, but you could get really close. You could lean right into the cockpits of, of incredible aircraft. Again, like I was saying before, the British do this so well. If this was in Australia or in America, these aircraft would be displayed hanging from the ceiling. You wouldn't be allowed to get close to them. Here, they let you get in them and climb all over them and take photos. and Just remarkable. I love... If you're British, thank you. You do a great job with your history. Um, So it was a really great night. So we were there. We got there a little bit earlier, so they gave us some exclusive access so we could do some filming again for Living History TV. So we spent a good couple of hours with one of their historians going around visiting all these aircraft. So there were 11 aircraft that they had special access to, um, some amazing aircraft, and a number of them were pretty special. So they had... I I won't be able to remember them all, but they had um, Hurricane Spitfire and a BF-109... That had all been involved in the Battle of Britain. And this is an absolutely incredible, rare piece of history that they know that these aircraft were involved in the Battle of Britain because the Battle of Britain was one summer in 1940 and the war went on for another five years. So aircraft that flew in the Battle of Britain were then pressed into service for other jobs. They were later destroyed. They were ripped apart for spare parts. They were upgraded. It's very, very, very unusual to find specific aircraft you know were involved in the Battle of Britain in the summer of 1940. And they've got three of them there. They've got the the key planes, the Hurricane, the Spitfire, and the BF-109. So it was great to get up close to those planes, and we got to get really close to them. I actually touched a couple of them, which is probably not quite allowed, but it was okay. I was there with one of the historians who was touching them as well. But just wonderful to get so close to these amazing aircraft. And they also had an Italian Fiat, which was a biplane, which had participated in the Battle of Britain, which is a chapter I knew nothing about. The Italians participated in a very small way in the Battle of Britain they had an Italian biplane there and so that they were the, they were the key aircraft the four aircraft all that had flown in the Battle of Britain so we examined those in great detail and i think what i'll do is i'll work this out with my editor when we cut these together but i think what i'll do is make a, a small mini little documentary on each aircraft so if you're interested in the lancaster or the spitfire or or the fiat or the bf109 we'll, we'll cut them into short little standalone documentaries so you can watch those uh, rather than trying to bundled them all together. Um, so we saw those four Battle of Britain aircraft, which were excellent. Uh, another one we saw, Lancaster, um, S for Sugar. So if you've been to the War Memorial in Canberra, and G for George is the famous Lancaster they've got in the aircraft hall at the War Memorial. Um, they had another Lancaster there, which was S for Sugar, and coincidentally also an Australian aircraft flown by an Australian crew from 467 Squadron. 467 was a, an RAF, a, a British squadron, mm-hmm but predominantly made up of Australians. So it would have had a mixed crew of Australians, British, Canadians, maybe some New Zealanders. Um, but it flew, it was the second uh, most active Lancaster of the war. It flew 130-something missions. Considering that the average Lancaster only survived 20 missions, uh, it was pretty remarkable that S for Sugar flew that many missions, and by Australians as well. So we got right up close to Lancaster, and the Bombay was open, and we climbed up underneath and got our heads in there and stood in the Bombay, and it was really quite spectacular what other aircraft do we see oh Stuka of course the, the Junkers uh, 87 the Stuka again really great got a nice, nice up and close to that one and remarkable aircraft just and not many of them I think there's only two of them in this condition in the world uh, so that was quite remarkable oh I see Jennifer's just Jennifer Bear my wonderful friend and production assistant hello Jen thank you very much for all your help with all this stuff all the great photos you see on Facebook and on Twitter were taken by Jen so Jen thanks for all your help with all the shooting it was great um so we saw the Stuka. They saw probably my highlight was the Heinkel 111, which is not not necessarily a sexy plane if you're talking about Spitfires or BF 109s. But the, the Heinkel He 111 was the um, was the famous German bomber, a light bomber. And when you see those iconic photos, there's one in particular, a famous photo showing from, taken from directly above, looking down on burning London with the silhouettes of several bombers. Those are He uh, 111s. So it was. Remarkable to get up close to the Heinkel. I think there's only two or three in the world, and uh, it's just a, a really interesting German aircraft. Tiny compared to the Lancaster, and it was one trick that the Germans missed during the war is they never really had a a, um, a heavy bomber. Even though they tried to develop one throughout the war, they never really succeeded. So their bombers were always very light and, and rather ineffective. But it was great to get up close to that one. What else do we see? A mosquito, uh, the, the the wooden wonder, the twin-engine Mosquito. It was great to uh, to find out some more about that one. Um, what else did we look at? I think that was oh a night fighter, a BF 110 uh, night fighter, um, which was great, um, and also some some other bits and pieces, um, just other aircraft we looked at. So it was really a, a fantastic evening that we spent. We spent four or five hours there uh, checking out all these aircraft. Really quite wonderful. Um, and then a highlight as well is they have a, they have a Spitfire there uh, from later in the war, from 1944, but you can sit in the Spitfire, and I got to sit in it. You've probably seen the photo on Facebook and on Twitter of me sitting in the cockpit. Let me just say, everyone can do this. I think it's 10 quid you pay extra to go and sit. They give you five minutes sitting in the cockpit. You can play with all the controls. Um, really remarkable experience, so definitely do that if you head to the RAF Museum in North London. Um, so again, that was really great. So look out for the documentaries that we're going to make about those um it was a real pleasure to go and see these these wonderful links with history and i really enjoyed it It was really great thanks to my film crew who did a wonderful job uh, of supporting me in that and and making what i'm sure will be some wonderful vision to illustrate these important chapters of history Um, and now the next chapter begins my signature tour so for those that don't know this is a tour that we advertised about a year ago and basically I was keen to get back to the battlefields. I, I, I stopped leading Western Front tours in 2012 and I handed them over to my very capable team of wonderful historians. And I'm sure anyone who is watching this who's been on the tours with us would know those great historians, Joe Hook, Pete Smith, John Anderson. The, the list goes on. There's so many talented people out there that lead tours for us. Um, wonderful people who do a great job. But I was just keen to get my toe back in the water and lead a tour. So a year ago we promoted this tour, the Matt McLaughlin Signature Tour, for 10 days on the Western Front and now finally the days arrive. Tonight we meet in Paris to begin that tour and heading up to the battlefields. Hopefully I still remember my stuff, uh, but we've got quite a few behind the scenes um, and special inclusions uh, that we don't normally include on a Western Front tour. So it's going to be a great experience. I'm really excited. And I'll do more of these during the course of that tour. I don't know if I'll do one every day, but I'll certainly do updates. I'll do Facebook Live posts. uh, I'll do uh, podcasts to keep you updated with everything that's going on on that Western Front Tour. It's really exciting. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for joining me for this one. As I said, I know it's late. I'll try and do them a little bit earlier in the day uh, from now on, but uh, thank you for joining me on this one. Please keep tuning into the podcast and to Facebook Live for more updates as I travel through the battlefields of the Western Front. Thank you for following me with everything I do. Make sure you subscribe. Tell your friends. Uh, if you fo- Please follow the podcast. The podcast is one of the most engaging things that I do. So go to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or the Google Podcasts. There's a whole heap of places you can go online and please look for Living History with Matt McLaughlin. Subscribe to that podcast and give it a review Um, and I'm sure you'll enjoy it if you're driving in the car or heading to work or, or doing some exercise or whatever you're doing. It's a great opportunity to put on a podcast and hear about some exciting things in history. I'll be doing more filming when I go back to London after the Western Front Tour and many, many more podcasts. So look out for good contact there. Thanks, Jen. (laughs) Just ignore Jen there uh, with her comments. Um, Thank you, everyone. I'm going to sign off now and go and have a beer and meet my tour group. Thank you for tuning in, and I'll talk to you in the coming days. Bye-bye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states.